Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Ready. Set. Spartan Race is back for 2018 and we're accepting no excuses. Barbed wire crawls, tire drags, spear throws and much more. Whatever your ability, you'll discover the right challenge for you. Take on our 5 to 25 kilometer events designed to push you to limits you never knew you could overcome. Complete an obstacle course race and let adventure back into your life. Are you ready to unleash your inner Spartan warrior? Visit spartanrace.uk. Welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam. We have a great show for you today. Football is finally back, and we're going to talk about training camp and the preseason and why both of them are exciting, but they're also a hype fest. We'll also speak with Melissa Jacobs of The Football Girl about Colin Kaepernick and what is really happening with his situation. And then we transition over to Matt Connor of Arrowhead Addict, part of the Fansided Network. He'll come on to discuss what's going on in Kansas City. A lot to talk about there. And then we get to Josh Hill making his weekly Dying on This Hill prediction. And we'll wrap it all up with a little bit of an in-depth look at Carson Wentz and what to expect out of the second-year man in Philadelphia. But let's start this week off with the summer ahead and why excitement but tempered excitement is probably the best course of action. Every year, people can't wait for their teams to get back into camp, and rightfully so. And finally, we're at that juncture. We're finally to a point where all 32 teams are going to be in camp by the end of this week. All the veterans, all the rookies, everything. So... If you're a Patriots fan, if you're a Falcons fan, if you're a Packers fan, a Steelers fan, you're really excited because your team might be able to make that Super Bowl run. Or if you're a Pats fan, another Super Bowl run. And if you're a fan of teams like the Raiders, Kansas City, Seattle, Dallas, the Giants, you feel like with a break or two, things could go your way. So there's a lot of reason to be really, really looking forward to this season. And if you're a fan of some of the has have not been of recent years, you know, the Cleveland Browns, maybe the Jets, the Jaguars, there's that renewed hope. There's, hey, this rookie class is going to be what changes it for us. This new coaching regime or this new general manager in front office, that's going to be the difference. And for a few teams, that's going to happen. There are going to be a couple of teams this year that nobody expects anything out of 
that are going to get into the playoffs, that are going to make a run because of some rookies or because of some veterans who maybe have more in the tank than we think. Last year, a lot of people didn't even think the Falcons were going to get to the playoffs, myself shamefully included. The Falcons, if not for a total collapse in the Super Bowl, would be the champions right now. So we never know what's going to happen. A lot of times, 90% of the teams we expect to make the playoffs, they get there. And then there's that other 10%, maybe two or three, if it's a crazy year out of the 12 teams, will surprise us and at least get into the playoffs, if not go a little bit further. But with that in mind, as exciting as it is for football season to be back, August 3rd is the Hall of Fame game, it's also wise to realize that there's always this breathless hype around every player, around every team. All we hear is so-and-so is in the best shape of his life, and this rookie is something I've never seen before. And you know what? 99% of the time, it doesn't matter. Because that rookie is still a rookie, and they still need to learn, and they still need to adjust to NFL life and the NFL speed, and they need to get used to a new coaching staff and a bigger playbook and a longer season, so on and so forth. Even the best college player has a huge adjustment to make. And some guys make it a heck of a lot faster than others, but it's still going to take some time. Last year in the preseason, Stephen Morris led the league in passing yardage. I would guess that out of a sampling of 100 people listening to this right now, 99 of you have no idea who Stephen Morris plays for. That's because Stephen Morris isn't good. But he still led the league in preseason passing yardage. And there were some folks that said, oh, you know, Stephen Morris, he might be somebody. Most people, knowing better, realizing, look, he's going against third stringers. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Wait, every time you wake up is the same day? That's terrible. Yeah, don't worry. I call Progressive. Their 24-7 protection still works, even if my day does last forever. Yeah, but don't you want it to end? Are you kidding? I win the lottery whenever I want and never regret anything. It's the best. Yeah, that's a good point. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. He's really, in essence, maybe at absolute best a back quarterback. For reference, behind Morris, Bryce Petty, Joe Webb. Those are your top three passers in the preseason. None of those guys are going to be threatening Tom Brady anytime soon. Look at the running backs. The Redskins actually had two of the top three. And this is where the preseason can every once in a while give you something to look forward to. Rob Kelly finished third in the league in preseason rushing yardage last year. Nobody knew much about him. Turns out he was a factor last year. He rushed for 702 yards. Now, Mac Brown, also on the Redskins, he led the NFL in rushing yardage. He rushed for 82 yards last season. So it goes to show, look, some guys... Might be worth a second look. Some guys, it's more just about maybe they, they face some inferior competition and they broke off a couple of big plays here and there, and so their, their stats are inflated. You know, Robbie Anderson paced all receivers in the preseason last year. Well, he caught 42 passes last year for 587 yards for the Jets. Going into the season, he's projected as a starter for the Jets. Now, look, the Jets have the worst roster in football, but that being said... Anderson carved out a role for himself, and you give a, give a young guy credit for that. The point being, training camp, the preseason, 
out of every 10 good things you hear about your team, take them all with a grain of salt and realize that maybe two or three are going to come to fruition. If you're really lucky, maybe four or five. But on the whole, it's just, it's hype. It's hype. People get excited. People see a big catch in training camp. Don't forget, too, especially with, with skill position players, there's very limited contact in training camp. Receivers are going to make plays in training camp that they're not going to make when some safety's coming across the field screaming over there to take their head off. It's not going to happen. You have a lot more guts in a training camp practice when you know that your teammate isn't going to try to bury you into the turf. Because in the preseason, that guy, that safety who's coming over, he's also trying to make the team in a lot of cases. So keep that in mind. Lastly on this, with the preseason, everybody gets so worked up about the standings. I always use the example of when the Lions went 0-16, they went 4-0 in the preseason. The last two years, we've seen of the 24 eventual playoff teams, 12 of them had a record of 500 or worse in the preseason. So when you hear the preseason standings mean absolutely nothing, they mean absolutely nothing. Yes, occasionally a team that wins a Super Bowl is going to go 3-1 or 4-0. Last year, New England went 3-1. Houston went 4-0 last year. Okay? But Pittsburgh and Dallas went 1-3. Every team plays it differently. I, I think, typically speaking, the younger teams, teams with new head coaches, they're going to try to play their starters a little bit more. They're going to try to test guys a little bit more because they're trying to learn what they have. If you're a team like Seattle or New England, a Pittsburgh, a Kansas City, a Green Bay, a team that has had a coaching staff for a long period of time, has a lot of veteran players on it, a lot of talent on the roster. You don't need to find out all that much about your starters. You're going to pull them quicker than, say, the 49ers will or the Browns will because those teams are trying to find out what they have going into week one of the year. Those veteran teams, they already know what they have. They've seen it for years. They just don't want to get anybody hurt. And that leads me into what should you actually be watching for in training camp? What should you be keeping an eye on when we get to the preseason games here in a couple of weeks? My top thing is how do teams with new head coaches look? Don't worry about the records. The records are completely irrelevant. Pay attention to how these teams are executing plays, both in training camp practices and especially, of course, in the games. Do they look fast? Are they crisp? Are guys running the wrong routes? Are quarterbacks throwing to the wrong spot? Are protections messed up? Are guys blowing assignments? That stuff matters. If you're a fan of the Broncos or of the Chargers, if you're a fan of the Bills or the Rams or any other team with a head coach that's coming in, rebuilding a culture or trying to expound upon it, that's what you need to be looking for because that's what matters. The rest of it is all white noise, okay? You want to know, okay, our coach is bringing in a new system, a new philosophy. How are our guys adapting to it? Typically, it takes teams about half of a regular season to really get and understand everything about their new system. Really, it takes a couple of years, but they, they start to gel around beginning of November or so. So which teams are doing the best job of that early? Then I look at injuries because, unfortunately, this is a huge part of the NFL. Which teams are ravaged? We already have the Ravens losing their nickel guy in Tavon Young. Dennis Pitt is out of the league and is retired. Another hip injury. 
the Ravens have taken some early hits. Mike Williams, first-round pick, receiver for the Chargers. He's already going on the pup list, right? He's got a back issue, took a second epidural. We'll see how that responds. Adam Schefter says you might need season-ending surgery. Ian Rappaport says, well, that might not be the case. He's responding well, so keep an eye on that. But which teams are going to have injuries that just cripple them from the get-go? A couple years ago, Jordy Nelson goes down with a torn ACL. The Packers, they were never right that year. They made the playoffs because they have Aaron Rodgers, but they were never right. Without Jordy Nelson, that offense didn't function the way it's capable of. So that's something to bear in mind. Then you get to rookie quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson. Those three guys. How do they play? Now, Mahomes isn't going to start no matter how well he plays, unless Alex Smith gets hurt. That's the only way he gets on the field. But Mitchell Trubisky, he's got a shot to get on the field. Deshaun Watson certainly does as he battles with Tom Savage in Houston. Don't worry about the statistics. Guys can get lucky. Guys can throw a bubble screen that goes for 80 yards. Statistics are garbage in the preseason. How well do those guys deal with pressure and or the occasional blitz? Do they know where the pressure is coming from? Do they know where the hot read is? Do they know how to get rid of the ball before they get creamed? Or do they panic? Do they throw an interception? Do they throw a pass that should have been intercepted? Those are things that the coaching staff and the general manager are watching. Those are the things that they care about. And so those are things you ought to care about. Don't worry about if you're a quarterback, if you're a Bears fan. Don't worry if Mitchell Trubisky's 10 of 20. Maybe three passes were dropped. Maybe he did the right thing because he was under pressure all night long. Worry about the process. How does drop back look? So many guys now come in from the spread system. They never drop back. They never take a five or seven step drop in college. They never take a ball from under center. How do they look in the drop back? How are their mechanics? Mahomes coming out of college, loved his tape. His footwork was terrible. Is his footwork better? How does he look when he's delivering a ball? One of the other knocks on him was he sometimes is too risky, too, too much of a gunslinger. Does he curtail that a little bit, or is that clearly still a big issue for him? With Mitchell Trubisky, he's a guy who when he throws, he locks his front knee. That's something a lot of people feel he can't correct. Does he try to correct that? Does he not worry about correcting it? And then with Deshaun Watson, the big knock was arm strength. Can he drive the ball into spots when it's outside the hash marks? Can he drive it outside, or excuse me, outside the numbers? Because those are the throws we know Mahomes can make, Trubisky can make, can Watson make those. If he can make those, I think he's got a future in the NFL. If he can't, it's going to be tough. It's very, very tough if teams know that you can't throw outside the numbers. It's much easier to defend the middle of the field in that case. And finally and lastly, which second and third string guys are just dominant? There's usually a half dozen guys across the league that you watch and they totally, utterly dominate. Those are guys typically that are ready to make the jump. You know, a lot of times second stringers play second stringers, third against third. If a guy's just merely good, it doesn't really matter. You know, maybe the guy's a good depth player, and, and sure, that's nice, but it's not going to make a huge impact. If you got a guy in the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter of these games early on in preseason who is absolutely dominating whoever they're going against, that can matter. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a simple matter of going against really inferior competition. But there are times where you watch a guy in preseason and, and they're a backup going into it and you just say, look, this guy's got to see the field. This guy's got to have more time. So those are the things you should be watching. Be excited for training camp. All 32 teams are zero and zero as much as that's a cliche. 
but now you have a real chance for your team to improve, to maybe get to the next level, or if you're at the top already, to stay there. But keep in mind, records in the preseason don't matter. And most certainly, don't worry about the hype train. Because a lot of times, that train's going to come off the tracks pretty soon. And now we go right into an interview with Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com, also at the Football Girl on Twitter. Check her out. She does great work. And uh, Melissa, welcome to Stacking the Box. Thanks for a few minutes. Thank you for having me. So you've been really outspoken about the Colin Kaepernick situation throughout this offseason. On March 3rd, he opted out of his deal, became a free agent. And really, he has had almost no interest publicly from any team other than the Seahawks who took a visit with him. And then how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Ultimately went and signed Austin Davis. So you wrote a piece for Fanside, and you've written on your Mm -hmm. site as well, thefootballgirl.com, that you feel he's being blackballed because of his stances that he's taken on society and the way Americans as a whole treat the African-American community. Uh, Are you still standing by the fact that you think that the NFL is, is blackballing him? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, with every like Dan Orlovsky or whomever that gets signed, I think that becomes more and more cemented. I mean, it just doesn't add up when you look at just the lack of phone calls. I mean, he's he had one sniff from the Seahawks and then Pete Carroll comes out and says, we're not signing him because he's too good. He's starter quality, not backup quality. And then he gets no call from any other team. And you know, as as I think most people know, there's quite a few quarterback deficient teams out there. So I don't know what other conclusion you can draw. You know, I agree for the most part. I, I thought Pete Carroll's explanation of why they didn't sign him was ludicrous. You want the best players on your team. And you're a team that's trying to compete mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. If Russell Wilson goes down for a month, you would much rather have Colin Kaepernick, one would imagine, than Austin Davis. Now, Yeah, absolutely. You know, now, my feeling, though, and I'm curious your take on this, is Part of me says Kaepernick last year was better than he was the year prior. But Mm -hmm. there's some thought that maybe he's a really high-level backup. He's not quite a starter for a team that has any real aspirations of going to the playoffs, going deep in them. And so maybe there's a thought, and this is my opinion, of GM saying, I don't want my backup quarterback to be the main talking point of our entire training camp wrongly. Do you think there's any merit to that or do you, do you not buy that? I mean, I get that argument, if you will. I mean, I think it's totally ludicrous given that, I mean, look, the NFL like prides itself on being a media circus. I mean, they literally concoct a day during Super Bowl week, media night that is for that purpose. It is not like, you know, we're these private havens and leave us alone. And so I, you know, I understand that's an, that's an easy excuse, but while this was going on last year, I mean, you know, I, I had some sources um, with the 49ers coaching staff last year and, and players have reiterated this. There was no distraction. It was a media story and it didn't, it had no impact whatsoever in the locker room. I mean, losing did, but not the fact that he was kneeling. So, you know, the notion that, he's going to go to a team and it's just going to like tear apart the chemistry and there's going to be too many media. I mean, 
again, it just seems really absurd to me. I on the same page as you. In terms of, I don't think it should be a distraction. I think, depending, especially you know where, what city, what the political demographics are, maybe it's more of a distraction in certain places. And sure. Others. Um, you know, his his kneeling, in my opinion, not to make this a political thing, shouldn't affect mm-hmm. anybody just because that's about the most American thing you can do. He wasn't violent. He was making a stance and he was doing it in a public way. And, and to me, there's nothing wrong with that. I know some people would disagree, but I did have a problem with the pig socks. I thought that was something that, that maybe rankled some people. I know for me personally, of all the things he did, I had no problem with anything else. The pig socks, and to a degree, the Fidel Castro shirt really kind of rubbed mm-hmm. me away. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm one of, you know, I guess staunch defenders, if you will, or like you said earlier, outspoken, but I agree with you. That was in very poor taste. And I even wrote a column, um, you know, when I was at, Sports Illustrated at the time when he didn't vote, um, you know, I thought, I know he later said he kind of didn't have a dog in the fight or whatever, like didn't care for any of the candidates on a national level, but when he didn't vote in the election, but there were so many like propositions and things like that, that sort of aligned with what some of his messaging is. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's conducted everything perfectly, um, but, I mean, come on, there's guys under investigation for sexual assault. There's, you know, players that have collected DUIs that are failing drug tests or, you know, assaulting, you know, people in bars. I mean, this is just, to me, is like so small in terms of, you know, weight, if you will. I mean, granted, I'm, you know, I'm not in the military, I don't come from like a deep military family. So I don't want to just sort of like poo poo the thoughts of people there. But I think, you know, we're aligned that what he did is just really an expression of his first amendment rights. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's been perfect, but it's in, in the scheme, in the scheme of things when it comes to NFL, uh, you know, of grievances, if you will, it's it's very, very, very minor in my opinion. The NFL definitely has larger fish to fry. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, you know, now the regular season. Welcome. Starts, to, just go hang out in Oxnard for a day. Yeah, I actually just part of my <laughs> column was about what a mess the Cowboys are right now. I feel like by the time. The oh my gosh. Starts, that team's going to be suspended. Um, <sighs> yeah. Actually, of, of guys who are either could be suspended or eventually, you know, could be unfortunately injured. The regular season starts September 7th. Mm-hmm. Unquestionably, there are going to be some quarterbacks who get hurt, who just fall out of favor. Do you believe he'll get a job? And if he doesn't get a job by then, do you think his career is over in the NFL? I would have thought he had a job by now. I mean, I, I, I think about that a lot. And, you know, who's left, right? I guess Vic is officially retired. I mean, there's just, I mean, I've, but it, it kind of feels like if he hasn't, gotten the call now and he hasn't even gotten a sniff for a tryout other than seattle so well like logic would dictate that of course he would get a call when whomever goes down i mean i don't think it's going to happen because it would have happened by now i mean i don't i i want to believe it will and you know i know that he's training and he's waiting for a call but why hasn't it happened yet so what would make you believe that it would happen in the future yeah, yeah, I I have to think though. He's twenty nine, and yes, the last couple of years have not gone great. He's competed at times with Blaine Gabbard for a starting job. That being said, he's been on a horrendous team. 
the last two years. Yeah. And yeah. When he was on a good team, Colin Kaepernick could play. This wasn't some guy who was a bum. This was a guy who was eight yards away or so from winning a Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I have to think he, he has to get a chance. Some team has to take a, a flyer on him. Sure. And, you know, the thing about um, Cap is that, you know, which is pretty great in some ways for a backup, like especially if it becomes, you know, if, if Pete Carroll had believed that this guy with starter talent was good enough to be his backup, which again, doesn't make sense. Um, you know, there's the notion that like they have to be system guy, these backups, right? Like that's, that's who you want someone who you can just plop in. But the thing about Kaepernick is, you know, Russell Wilson goes down in the wild card of the playoffs and you bring in Kaepernick and yeah, I sure you have like a week to adjust, but you're, you're just going to rattle defenses. I mean, he's streaky. So he, I mean, think about what a nightmare he would be for a defensive coordinator on like a short week preparing for a playoff game. You know, like you, you have that situation versus just like some super poor man's version of whomever, you know, the starting quarterback is. It's not going to strike fear in anyone and not going to like disrupt any plans whatsoever. So, I mean, uh, there, there's a million reasons that Kaepernick should be signed. I mean, quite frankly, number one is he's better than almost every single backup out there um, and possibly a few starters. I th- Just, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think we need to keep talking about it because there's obviously a lot of underlining cultural things, but it, it's really depressing that it's late July and that we actually are having to have this conversation. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, there's just all this conversation about, well, Kaepernick, what value does he add from some people out there in the media? And my opinion is just, look, I don't think he's a starting quarterback on a good team. That's fine. But I do think... Mm-hmm. I agree with that. If you look at the NFC and the six teams that made the playoffs last year, I would defy most people to name me three of the backup quarterbacks on those teams. They are awful. You could yeah. make a real argument that the best out of all of them is Geno Smith. And Colin Kaepernick <laughs> is ten times the player that Geno Smith is. I know as just a fan, and I've never hit this. I'm a Chiefs fan. If, if a team mm-hmm. was coming to Arrowhead... And they said, you get to pick. Who do you want to start against? Do you want to play against Geno Smith, Austin Davis, or Colin Kaepernick? I know who would be out of the conversation first. Exactly. And, and so I totally agree that while I do believe that owners and GMs are staying away in part because they think that there's going to be a distraction in the NFL, especially front officers, they hate distractions. I think it would be a distraction for about a week at most. And then mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Um, you know, he, he already mentioned several months ago, you know, I'm done protesting. That's it. He's, he's not going to be kneeling during the anthem. He's going to stand there like everyone else. And sure, there might be, you know, a few extra media, but he's a backup quarterback. There's like nothing to talk to him about at that point, you know, maybe for a day or two in training camp. And that's it. I mean, there's he's not, you know, then once the games are going and whatnot, I mean, they'll be more inherent storylines you talk to him when he's playing i mean there's i think it's you know it's a dead story if you will like after a couple weeks but with by not signing him like training camp is starting this week and this is what we're talking about and this is what so many people are still writing about and once the season's going and ryan fitzpatrick enters a game and throws six picks like why isn't kaepernick getting a call poor dan orlovsky gets signed like 
that, you know, that's just the comparison for every single, you know, Aaron quarterback is going to continue until Kaepernick is signed, and rightfully so. Yeah. Last question for me is mm-hmm. if Kaepernick doesn't come back to the NFL, if he doesn't get another job, what do you believe will be the eventual impact of that? Do you think there's a lasting effect, or do you think that it's forgotten by the time we get into the regular season? No, I think there'll be a, a lasting effect. I mean, first of all, he'll be fine. Like, he is he is on a path to things that are far greater than anything he can do on a football field. I mean, his impact is wide. It's international. I mean, I think, you know, I think his situation might underscore the the cultural, you know, backwardness, if you will, of the NFL, like more than anything. And I, I don't think, you know, especially when you compare it to the NBA where players are encouraged to be, you know, activists and talk about politics and have really given a platform. I mean, I think, you know, I think that he just illustrates like how repressed and how backwards this league is. And it kind of, is you know aligned with everything that Kaepernick is fighting for off the field so I think you know there's you know thoughtful people like you and me and you know a large percentage of the you know NFL audience and and you know there's it's just another it's another pillar that could lead you to want to maybe watch a little more NBA maybe a little less NFL if you know you're already close to that it's definitely a like push you over the edge situation in my mind well, great stuff, Melissa. I really appreciate it. For anybody listening, check out all of Melissa's work at Football Girl on Twitter, footballgirl.com. Uh, terrific. And uh, look forward to talking to you here as the season gets going. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you. I just want to thank Melissa coming on, giving her thoughts about Colin Kaepernick. And Melissa's really just a thoughtful, insightful person. I love her work. Uh, you know, not to show for her or anything, but I really believe she's one of the smartest journalists out there covering the NFL. And, and so this Kaepernick situation, as she pointed out, it is going to drag well into the summer. And you know, one thing that has dragged into the summer is the drama in Kansas City. It's been going on since the beginning of June. It continues to this day and time. And to talk about it, we bring on Matt Connor of Arrowhead Addict, uh, one of fan sided great blogs. In fact, the first fan sided site ever. And Matt, I'd like to welcome to, to the podcast. How are you? Hey, good. How are you, Matt? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I want to just jump right in. The Chiefs today, they, they announced that Veach is the new GM, or at least introduced him as the new GM. They had Clark Hunt at the beginning of training camp kind of talk about what happened with John Dorsey. He didn't go into specifics. This has been a really weird offseason. You know, they released Jamal Charles and Jay Howard earlier. I don't think people got too rankled about either of those. But then Jeremy Macklin, he goes and he gets cut. After two years of a five-year deal, they fired John Dorsey. And then Saturday, Tom Bali went sports earth on Twitter. So what is your take of this offseason thus far? <laughs> well, you just said it there. What's interesting is if you would have said that this would be a dramatic offseason for the Chiefs, you would have likely thought that the Patrick Mahomes move would have backfired and maybe there would be something between, you know, Patrick and Alex and some sort of quarterback thing. Instead, that's the one bit of predictable drama, quarterback controversy, that hasn't played out. Other than that, everything else is, has kind of like, you know, the, the, the ship seems to be sinking. <clears throat> I even read a, a new NFL power rankings, which we all know how meaningless that exercise is at this point. But uh, – like the Chiefs were now rated like number 14, which is the first sort of 
appearance outside the top 10 where it seems like even fans and now some NFL media analysts are saying, you know, the Chiefs might be headed more toward a nine and seven middling season than repeating a playoff appearance. Yeah. Jamie's log, progressive. The Harrington's backyard, day 27, 3.33 a.m. 3.33, all those threes mean something. Or I may be losing it. Been camped in the Harrington's backyard for 27 days now, proving that progressive has 24-7 protection. They told me every day they understand what 24-7 protection means. Think I'm finally getting through to them. 3.33. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection. Just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. And that actually segues perfectly because it seems both around the league and, and really with people who focus on the AFC West, it seems that few really believe the Chiefs will repeat as division champions. This despite most of the roster returning. They've won 11 straight games within the division. And under Andy Reid over the last four years, they average over 10 wins a year. How do you see the West playing out after what has been, I guess, an interesting offseason? Well, you know, I think you said it. I think um, I was a huge fan of John Dorsey. I think he left the cupboards absolutely full, Um, even if I didn't quite agree with all of this season's, um, you know, releases. uh, I think the Chiefs are totally stacked. There's absolutely no reason to bet against them at this point on the field. Everything at this point is offseason conjecture, uh, you know, which every year just relates to, you know, nothing. Um, every year we hear how this is going to be the year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We hear that all kinds of other teams win on paper in terms of free agency or the draft. And then year after year, we're surprised that um, John Dorsey once again added a couple new impact players to one of the NFL's youngest teams year after year. And so the Chiefs keep on rolling. So, you know, they had as many pro bowlers as any team in the NFL last year. Uh, they have ascendant talent with Chris Jones, with Tyreek Hill. Um, some of their best players are still sort of emerging into their prime, and you'd already list them as impact players like you know, Travis Kelsey or even Eric Berry and certainly Marcus Peters. Uh, I mean, this is just a loaded team that's already proven itself. It's, it's just it's laughable to me. Like once the games start being played, everyone's going to go, Oh yeah, wait, these are the chiefs. And they've always been this good. Yeah. You know, like I, I never make it any secret. I, I grew up a chief fan and I, I still, I still am. They still give me odds of every Sunday when I lose. <laughs> I believe that they have the most complete roster in the division. I think, you know, people tend to look at the Raiders and say, that's a team that's up and coming 12 and four. They have Derek Carr. But if you really look at what the Raiders did last year, I feel like a lot of it, not to take any credit away from them, but I feel like it was maybe playing above their head to some degree when you look at close games and things that went in their favor. And I'm curious, you know, keeping it on the Chiefs, last year they had a lot of injuries in their front seven. Josh Malga missed the whole year. Justin yeah. Houston missed most of the year. Derek Johnson, of course, missed the last quarter of the year. Jay Howard, Allen Bailey, so on and so forth. If Justin Houston stays healthy, what do you feel is the ceiling of this defense? Is it, is it a top five unit, top ten unit, or are there other issues looming that maybe I'm not seeing? Um, well, I think it has the potential to be the NFL's best defense, and I'm totally saying that as a homer. But the, I think the reality is Justin Houston is the one player that makes everybody else better. I mean, at, at that point, you can't – game plan for Chris Jones, but you have to game plan for Chris Jones. Um, you know, I, I think D Ford 
continues to double his sack total every year. There's just no reason that he can't add another two to five sacks to last year's already double-digit total. Tom Bahali, if, if he wants to put pressure on anyone, he totally put it on himself too. So so some people are saying, oh my gosh, Tom Bahali just called out Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, and Justin Houston for not showing up. But, I mean, if Tamba doesn't get on the field and absolutely penetrate and get those sacks – then he's just going to be seen as blowing a lot of hot air about the playing time that he should have had. So I think the Chiefs are going to be a fired-up group. I think they're going to be out to prove that that they're not just looking toward 2018 and beyond because of this draft. Um, I think you're right with all of the injuries to the up, to the to the front seven, um, and I think you're going to see a lot of developmental players have gotten a lot better. I I, I just think this is a complete unit front to back. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll once again lead or, or be near the, the, the top in terms of takeaways, and, and the pass rush can only get better because they ranked um, like 26th out of all 32 teams in the NFL last year in total sacks. You know, and moving to the other side of the ball, Alex Smith, despite the draft of, of Patrick Mahomes, 10th overall, they traded next year's first round pick to get up there to get him, moved up 17 spots. Alex Smith remains the starter. I don't think there's any question about that. But Mahomes is the future. I'd be shocked if Mahomes isn't starting next year just because typically guys like that don't sit more than a year at most. And the Chiefs get $17 million if they cut Smith next year, which they sorely need. What percentage do you give Mahomes, if any, to unseat Smith at some point this season? Zero. I think zero. I think Tyler Bray has a better chance of playing. Uh, although I'm sure I'm, I'm – uh, in the minority on that one, uh, you know, I read something today that predicted, you know, Robert Klemko over at Monday Morning Quarterback says he thinks Smith is out in October and that Mahomes will be in. I get it. Losing creates um, an inordinate or disproportional pressure in the NFL. And I would say that most teams, maybe even 30 of 32, would cater to that pressure. I think I think maybe Bill Belichick. And I think the presence of a veteran like Andy Reid will allow the Chiefs to be one of, of a rare amount of teams that will not have to cater in case there is some kind of unexpected losing streak. So I, I think you're going to see them. Uh, they made very clear the plan of succession in KC. They've told everyone whether they like it or not, and that includes Smith. Um, but that plan means Smith is starting this year, and everyone, Dorsey, team owner Clark Hunt, Andy Reid, they all said from the outset of the season, Alex Smith is our man for 2017. And, and I don't see how that doesn't play out win or lose. I agree. I don't think Mahomes will start barring a, a rash of injuries to the quarterback depth chart. And I agree with you, actually. I think Bray might have a better chance of getting on the field. I don't, I don't care if Mahomes throws every pass for a touchdown in the preseason. I don't think he finds a way onto the field. And you know, that kind of leads into my last question. You know, Mahomes, he's the future, but Smith is the present. I've been very vocal in saying that I believe the quarterback position is what's held the Chiefs back from being really able to threaten New England. And I'm curious your thoughts. Last year, 12-4, and four, got to the divisional round for the second year in a row. It's the first time in franchise history the Chiefs have gotten that far in consecutive seasons. Can they take the next step? And where would you rank the Chiefs right now, as useless as power rankings are? In the- <laughs> uh, well, you know, I would I would put the Chiefs at a top five team. I think absolutely 
um, the road to the Super Bowl goes through New England. I think they should be the favorites. They deserve to be the favorites. Um, you know, they won a tremendous amount last year, even without Gronk in the lineup. They're just a dangerous team. Um, that said, I, that said, I think the Chiefs can win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. I, I just absolutely do. I, I think he steps up and makes the throws when he needs. He looked so good in the fourth quarter um, against Denver when they were down by eight. It looked like they were going to lose. He looked excellent in the season opener when they put together the, the biggest comeback in team history for that uh, incredible comeback win over the Chargers in week one. Um, I, I think if he's willing to run the football more than he did last year, like he seemed really reticent last year at times to put his body on the line. I wonder if that mentality is going to change kind of knowing this is his last year and also sort of a, uh, it's it's almost like a tryout uh, or, you know, sort of a resume year for him to show other teams what he can still do if he wants to kind of cash in one more quarterback payday before he calls it quits. So I think if he's willing to run a bit more, I, I think he's going to be willing to kind of put a little bit more on the throws this year, um, just kind of knowing this is his exit, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I just think no matter where they've been in years past, I, I think the Chiefs have the defense. Uh, and certainly worse quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl before, uh, let alone appeared in one. I'll, I'll put you on the spot real quick. AFC West, are the Chiefs still the favorites to win the division? Yeah, I think so. There's no reason uh, until proven otherwise. Um, although I do think people are sleeping on the Broncos. I think it's a little bit – I think people are writing them off, and specifically a defense that loaded a bit too easily. Um, so I'm, a, I'm more worried about the Broncos, honestly, than the Oakland Raiders. Fair enough. Good, good, uh, good take. The Broncos certainly have that Super Bowl pedigree. So, uh, Matt, really appreciate you taking the time. All your work can be found at arrowheadaddict.com. And really, check out Matt's piece on the Tom Bali Twitter situation and really what it means more culturally than anything else. I thought it was brilliant. I'm not just saying that. I really did. I thought it was fantastic. In fact, Tomba thought it was fantastic because he tweeted, I love Matt Connor. So, um, you should take that and frame it. <laughs> uh, he he has uh, he's given me more uh, love today than my own wife, so that's uh, it, it was a good day. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what? It's, it, things could be worse. <laughs> All the best, man. Thanks. Thank you very much. Take care. And again, I, I think with Connor, that piece on Ali really was excellent over at Arrowhead Addict. He talked just about how there's so much pressure on these players to perform every snap. And it's so true that we also expect them the second they step away from the field and they're in the locker room, they're in their personal lives, we have this expectation of them that they need to flip the switch, as Matt wrote in his article, and all of a sudden be these very buttoned-down, no-opinion type of guys. And yet they still get flack at times because then they're not giving us what we want. They're not giving us the soundbite. And Tom Bali, rightfully or wrongly for what he said, on Twitter calling out a few teammates or seemingly calling out a few teammates about not being at OTAs. He was talking about Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, Justin Houston, as Matt alluded to. Um, at least he said something. He had an opinion. He was interesting. He wasn't just cookie cutter. And this is from a very smart man who's been in the league a long time. This is a 33-year-old who is going into his team's Hall of Fame. So keep that in mind. You know, Tomba maybe. Not the best move to air it out publicly, but he's a human being. He had a grievance. He decided to air it, see if the Chiefs can move on and get over it. And now 
we move on to our weekly segment of Dying on That Hill with Josh Hill, NFL editor, alongside myself here at Fansided. Josh is a man that wears many hats, and he's a man that has many opinions. And, uh, Josh, what is your opinion this week? What is your Dying on This Hill prediction? Uh, this week, I'm going to head over to Wisconsin, a state that I've spoken of very well in this office. Um, I'm full disclosure, I'm from Minnesota, so this is not coming from any place of hate. But I think that Martellus Bennett, this quote-unquote marquee signing that the Packers made this offseason, he's going to be average at best. There's these people out there going, oh, yeah, he's the sleeper pick. He's going to really open up the offense. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Stop that. He's, he's going to be average at best unless somebody gets hurt. And, it, you know, it's, it's all in the numbers. It's, he's not going to be good this year. Well, he is... 30 years old, and he's coming over from New England, of course. Signed a three-year deal, $21 million. But really, when you look at the structure of the contract, he's releasable after this year. Mm -hmm. General Manager Ted Thompson, assuming he's still there, can absolutely cut Bennett. And there would be, I believe, $3 million of dead money on the cap next year. Then after that, in the third year, they could basically cut him for no dead money. So you wonder just how confident the Packers are in Bennett who, yeah, 30 years old, he's still a fairly young guy for the tight end position, but you never know when that player is going to fall off the cliff, so to speak. Yeah, and you take a look at what he did last year in New England. I'm not saying that he's going to, like, be terrible this year. He's going to start dropping balls or something like that. But he benefited greatly from the Rob Gronkowski injury, and he benefited from the fact that there's Julian Edelman and then a half-concussed Danny Amendola most of the time out there. So, you know, he, he did well last season, and, he, you know, he deserved his money, I guess you could say. But you take a look at some of the years he's been around the league. In Chicago, what was he? Alshon Jeffrey wasn't that great. Brandon Marshall was okay. He was a nice third option there. In New York, what was he before that? Dallas, he was a ghost there. So, and did you take a look at Green Bay as a whole? Aaron Rodgers doesn't have any favorite targets. He's not a guy who throws to somebody all the time. Jordy Nelson, I guess, is the guy you can make the most case for. But you've got Jordy Nelson, you've got Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Ty Montgomery coming out of the backfield, whatever's up with Jeff Janis. you got that Geronimo Allison back there too. There's a lot of places to throw the ball, including Richard Rodgers, who is still there. So, you know, I crunched the numbers a little bit. And if you take everybody who's still there in Green Bay, because Jared Cook's gone, uh, 82% of Aaron Rodgers' 610 passes last year, his attempts, went to people that are still on the roster. Okay, 47 of those went to Richard Rodgers. Between Richard Rodgers and Jared Cook, 103 targets, 648 yards, and three touchdowns. Now, Martellus Bennett's probably going to do a little bit better than that because he is a more reliable target. It depends on how much they throw to him in the red zone. But that's kind of realistically, if he gets 103 targets, which is ridiculous, that's kind of what you're looking at here. And that's not necessarily what you want to give $21 million to or whatever they gave to him. And, and let's be real. He's, he's not getting 103 targets. Mm -hmm. I, I like Bennett maybe a little bit more than you do. But when you look at his career, there are a few things that stick out. This is not a guy who's played with bad quarterbacks in his mm -hmm. career. He's played with Tony Romo, Eli Manning, Jay Cutler, say what you will, but he's an average quarterback. And then, of course, last year, Tom Brady. And in eight years, he's only had more than 800 yards once. Mm -hmm. now, last year... He had 701 yards, and that ranked ninth among tight ends. I mean, that was a solid number. Uh, but again, you're playing on arguably the best offense in football, and you're in a position where you're never going to be focused on because teams mm -hmm. are going to be trying to take away Edelman and Gronk. And so the other position that worries me with, with Bennett is how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? 
This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. In his eight years, he has 30 touchdowns. That is not a large number for a guy that has a reputation of being very good down near the end zone. 30 touchdowns, and seven of them did come last year. But you're talking about an average of almost four a year. That's fine. It's okay. But it's not moving the needle, so to speak. And I'm curious with Rodgers as the quarterback now, does, does that change? Does he continue to put up seven or eight touchdowns a year? Or does the ball get spread around, as you mentioned, and maybe he only ends up with that you know, four or so? And you could say arguably that his best seasons were spent in Chicago, specifically in 2013 when he got there. And it wasn't his best season, but it was kind of a similar situation where he comes in, he's this big acquisition, he's supposed to you know, help the quarterback spread out the offense or whatever, and he was the third option on that team, which he's probably like fourth or fifth in this offense. And in 2013, he, had 90, he was targeted 94 times, 759 yards, and five touchdowns, which is, which is decent with what he got. His best season was 2014 when he went to the Pro Bowl, but he got targeted 128 times, almost went for 1,000 yards, and got six touchdowns. But that's with Elshon Jeffrey probably in his best season, and also Brandon Marshall, who was kind of wishy-washy in Chicago. But 128 targets. That's not happening in Green Bay. When Jordy Nelson got 152 last year, Devontae Adams got 121, Ty Cobb got 84, uh, or uh, Randall, Randall Cobb. Cobb. Ty Cobb, Ty, probably not Ty Cobb didn't get any, But Ty Montgomery got 56, and he was coming out of the backfield. So really kind of I think the saving grace maybe with uh, Martellus Bennett could be they don't have a running game. They have Ty Montgomery coming out of the backfield. And that's kind of really it. So maybe if those targets are taken away, that those 56 targets are then moved towards Martellus Bennett, that might help him. I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. I'm just saying he's not this $21 million you know, fix-it that Packers fans seem to think that he's going to be. Aaron Rodgers' offense is still Aaron Rodgers' offense. And he's got, you know, who, who's to say Jeff Janis isn't all of a sudden this standout star for this season? Every year it's somebody different. Um, I'll go on record and say Jeff Janis is not going to be a standout <laughs> star. But I know what you mean. Last year, Jared Cook got 51 targets. Richard Rodgers got 46. Now, Rodgers, mm-hmm. as you point out, is still there. Yeah. So even if you want to say that he's going to get 50% more targets than Cook, he's going to get 75, which put him fourth on the team because you mentioned Nelson, Adams, and Cobb all had more than that. Randall Cobb, by the way. Ty Cobb, dead. Um, I look at his value mostly as being a guy who can block He's a very good inline blocker in the run game. That's a big plus for a team, as you mentioned, has trouble running the football. And frankly, that line is built to protect Rodgers. It's not built to create big holes. I think it's going to struggle to do that. T.J. Lang is gone. J.C. Treader is gone from the interior of the line. So I think Bennett really adds value there. But I do see some red flags in terms of what his productivity is going to be catching the football, not because he's not a good player, but just because they have a lot of weapons. And you're right. Rodgers doesn't usually say, I'm going to go and I'm just going to focus on one player in a game. You look at their box scores, typically the ball gets spread around to six, seven, eight different guys. I expect that to happen once more. And Bennett, for all of his talents, I think really he's going to help more in the run game than he's going to help anywhere else. Yeah, and I guess really that's kind of the hill that I'll die on there is that he's not going to be an offensive weapon the way that Packers fans maybe think so. And specifically, fantasy football fans think he's going to be. If you're in a fantasy draft and you're looking at taking Martellus Bennett, you might want to look elsewhere because the numbers aren't going to be there this year for him, despite how attractive it is that he's in that Aaron Rodgers offense. Like you said, Matt, he's played with you know Brady, he's played with Cutler and all these other quarterbacks, and he's been so-so for most of his career. It's really going to come down to what I think you said – 
how he impacts that run game, whatever that may be. But the hill that I'm dying on is that Martellus Bennett not going to be the tight end that you think he's going to be in Green Bay despite the quarterback. Well, as always, Josh, appreciate your, your time and your, your thoughts. And it'll be interesting to see with Bennett, and you bring up the fancy aspect of it. I'm very interested to see just how things play out because, look, last year Zach Ertz had more yardage than <laughs> than Martellus Bennett, oh, okay? <laughs> and, and Kyle Rudolph had more yardage, and there's a reason for it. Sam Bradford throws three yards down the field, and Carson Wentz throws two yards down the field. And so that leads me actually into my final closing thought here. We'll wrap up this episode of Stacking the Box with this. Carson Wentz seems to be in the news recently, especially if you're on Twitter, you'll see there's been a lot of debate the last couple of weeks to how good Carson Wentz truly is. Pro Football Focus ran what they called a foundation draft last week. They ranked players in terms of who you'd start a franchise with. And that list went 32 players deep, one for each team, although they didn't specify which team the player would go to. They just went one through 32. Of those 32, they included 17 quarterbacks, four of which have never played an NFL down. Three of them are still in college. A Mason Rudolph, Josh Allen, and Mr. Darnold from USC. Patrick Mahomes being the other guy, he was put 13th, uh, obviously a rookie with the Chiefs. We already talked about him earlier in the program. Elliot Shore Parks of NJ.com, who covers the Eagles as their beat writer, does an excellent job. He reacted to it, and he stated that he would take Carson Wentz over everyone on their list except for Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Marcus Mariota, and Tom Brady. I have a lot of respect for Elliot and the job that he does. I believe that to be absurd. There's no question that I would take those five guys over him. You know, again, Carr, Wilson, Rodgers, Mariota, Brady. No doubt. I find it very hard to argue, as Elliot did in his piece, that you wouldn't take Andrew Luck over Carson Wentz. Now, look, Andrew Luck is coming off a shoulder injury. He's had his problems in terms of injuries, interceptions with the Colts, a lot of that being because his offensive line is basically paper mache. And when you can't block, your quarterback's going to take hits and he's going to turn the football over. Andrew Luck is a prodigious talent. With all due respect to Carson Wentz, who I think can grow into a good quarterback, he is not going to ever have the level of ability that Andrew Locke has. I would also argue that Jameis Winston is a quarterback with a significantly higher upside. Winston, of course, going into his third year, Winston to his second. Look, Winston's got to grow, and the Buccaneers know that. That's why they went out, and they added offensive pieces here in this offseason. O.J. Howard, Deshaun Jackson, and I think that's going to make the difference. I think Winston's going to thrive in Tampa Bay. He's got to bring that interception rate down, but if he does that, Jameis Winston has all the talent in the world. He could be a top-five quarterback sooner rather than later. I don't believe Carson Wentz can ever do that. I would take Matthew Stafford, who admittedly I believe is 5-32 and 32 in his career against teams that go to the playoffs later on that year. So he's been terrible against good teams, but Matthew Stafford can play. He's got a rocket for an arm, and forget even the arm strength. He's just a very good, sound quarterback. He makes mistakes. I wouldn't say Matt Stafford's a top eight guy in the league, but I'd put him somewhere right around 10 to 12, and I wouldn't put Wentz in the top 20. Now, Wentz has upside that some of those guys in the top 20 wouldn't because he's young. 
But when you really dig in and you look at Wentz, last year of 30 qualifying quarterbacks for the statistic, only Brock Osweiler had a lower yards per attempt than Carson Wentz. Wentz had a number of 6.2 yards per attempt. Osweiler was at 5.8. Osweiler, after last season, was traded by the Texans to the Browns, and the Texans gave up a second-round pick. The Texans said, please take the rest of his four-year, $72 million contract, take on the final three years. Thank you very much. Here's a second-round pick for your troubles. He's not going to start on the Browns this year if Deshaun Kaiser shows anything. And that's the only guy that finished behind Carson Wentz. Last year, Wentz was 18th in interception rate, 2.3. He was 18th in yardage, almost 3,800, just shy, which is fine. As a rookie, he was fine. He had 16 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. That's not so fine. That's not good. And you look at the core around Wentz, it's not great. The offensive line is not terrible. It has some weak spots. And so that's one of the benefits of the doubt that you should give Wentz is this is a team that last year the leading receiver was Zach Ertz. Talked about him with Josh. He's, he's an okay player, but you know, he's not somebody who's going to scare defenses. Jordan Matthews was second, 804 yards. Those two players combined for seven touchdowns. Okay? There was no explosiveness in the passing game out of the Eagles. Last year they only had 39 plays in the passing game, where they had 20 yards or more. That is unacceptable. Doriel Green-Beckham had five of those plays. He's gone. Nelson Aguilar, first-round pick a couple years ago at USC, it's time to make some plays or or get out. Nelson Aguilar, 36 catches last year, 365 yards. You're a first-round pick. You've got to do more than that. Has to do more than that. Aguilar was supposed to be a number one receiver. He has been a disaster in Philadelphia to this point. He enters his third year. We'll see what he can give him. But the Eagles went out this offseason. Front office knew it had to upgrade the personnel on the outside and did so. Alshon Jeffrey on a one-year deal. I think that certainly helps. And Torrey Smith comes in. I don't like the fit of Torrey Smith with the Eagles. Last year we saw Carson Wentz throwing short as often as Alex Smith does. And, of course, he's known as the most likely quarterback to check down. The old saying, how do you get Alex Smith to throw an eight-yard pass? You make it third and 12. Carson Wentz, it was similar last year. Now, Alshon Jeffrey, 27 years old, the talent is there. But the last couple of years, he missed four games last year. He missed seven the year prior. He's been injury prone. In his five-year career, he's only played 16 games twice. Now, when he did, those were his 2,000-yard seasons. And he had 17 touchdowns over that span. So he can play. And he will give them somewhat of a vertical threat. He'll also give them a guy who at 6'3", 220 pounds, can go up and get the ball and box out a defender. Okay. Torrey Smith, he's a go-route guy all day long. He is a poor man's version of Mike Wallace. It helps in terms of opening up some of the underneath routes that Wentz likes to hit. But I don't know that you're going to see Torrey Smith have a big year in Philadelphia. Okay. Now, to expound upon some of Wentz's struggles last year there were four games where he registered less than five yards per attempt the entire rest of the NFL did that 27 times which means on average there was less than one game like that per team just barely only Osweiler 
match that number of four games under five yards per attempt. Blake Bortles was the only other guy in the league who had three games like that. So you have to be concerned if you're an Eagles fan. Look, yes, the receivers struggled last year, no question. They weren't able to gain separation. But there were times when you watched the film of Wentz where he didn't go down the field when he should have. And not just like once or twice a game. I mean, more often than that, where there were times where he could have taken shots. Now, the Giants in that division have a great secondary. Those other two teams, not the case. Hey, Josh Norman's excellent in Washington, but you can pick on the rest of that secondary. In Dallas, the secondary wasn't great last year, was certainly better than it had been years prior. Now the Cowboys lose Mo Claiborne, Brandon Carr, J.J. Wilcox, Barry Church. There should be no problem throwing the ball in that division unless you're playing the Giants. So a quarter of his schedule is against teams that he should be able to throw the ball against. Now, speaking of the schedule, he's going to have an early challenge because three of his first games are on the road, one of them against the aforementioned Redskins. Okay, So Nelson Aguilar may have to step up in that game because Alshon Jeffrey and Josh Norman are going to be seeing a lot of each other. Jordan Matthews is going to have to step up in that game. Torrey Smith is going to have to step up in that game. Then, second week, they go to Kansas City for the Chiefs' home opener at Arrowhead. Of course, Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, that'll be a test. And then they come home, play the Giants, very good secondary. Week four, go play the Chargers in L.A., go cross country, and your reward for that is Jason Verrett and Casey Hayward and a good pass rush. So we're going to find out real quickly how much progress Wentz has made. And I think the kid has been thrust somewhat into an unfair situation. Last year, there was all this talk for the season that he was their third-string quarterback. He wasn't going to start. There was no way. He didn't get to play a lot in the preseason. He had the rib injury. Everybody thought it was going to be Chase Daniel and it was going to be Sam Bradford. All of a sudden, Sam Bradford gets traded to Minnesota. Chase Daniel becomes a forgotten man. And an angry forgotten man. We remember some of the things he had to say about the situation. And all of a sudden, here is Carson Wentz. It it was surprising. I wonder how much it took Wentz by surprise. He started out the year playing incredibly. First three games of the year, people started calling Philadelphia Wentzylvania. And things kind of went downhill after those first three games. And when you look at the first three games, their opponents were Cleveland and Chicago, and then there was the game against Pittsburgh. He was excellent, completed 23-31, 301 yards, and a couple of TDs. After the first quarter of the year, though, there were only two times where Carson went through for two touchdowns, one of which was Week 17 against the Cowboys when the Cowboys had already wrapped up the number one seed in the NFC and were playing nobody. And the other time was a loss at home, or excuse me, on the road against Seattle. Uh, he did throw for two touchdowns, two picks in that game. The last touchdown coming in garbage time when the team was down 26 to 7. So. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were yelling at another car while driving, let me say it again. You need to calm down. Yelling is just making everyone as stressed out as you are and letting them all know that you definitely aren't trying to save with Progressive Snapshot. And if you did hear it the first time because you weren't yelling at another car, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. As the year went along, we saw Wentz start to struggle. There were too many games where there were multiple interception games. In fact, four times over the last 11 weeks. 
Wentz had multiple interception games, including a three-pick game and a loss in December to Cincinnati. That can't happen if you're not throwing for a ton of yards. You throw for a ton of yards, teams will live all day long with their 14 interceptions. But Wentz has got to get that number down maybe to around 10. You'd like to see the touchdown number go from 16 to maybe somewhere in the low 20s. You'd like to see him get to around 4,000 yards. His completion percentage is 62.4, passable. But you'd like to see the average yards per attempt. That's the big number. 6.23 is not cutting it. That's got to be closer to the high sixes, low sevens. If he can do that, the Eagles have a real shot in the NFC East. If he can't get anywhere near those numbers, I don't buy the Eagles as a real contender. A couple weeks ago, we had Marcus Moser on. He talked about that he believes the Eagles are going to be the team that comes out of the East. And without Wentz really improving, as much as I respect Marcus's opinion, I, I just can't see it. I don't buy it. There were 20 quarterbacks last year that, com- that had a yards per attempt of seven or more. And some of those guys, by the way, included Trevor Simeon, Alex Smith, Sam Bradford. So y- you've got to get in that company. You've got to get to seven. Otherwise, you're sitting there hanging around the bottom of the barrel and you're talking about guys who are maybe serviceable quarterbacks, but not great quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor, you know, Colin Kaepernick, if he gets another job, uh, Eli Manning, who in recent years has kind of started to decrease as he's gotten older. So one of the things I'll be watching here throughout the summer and then early on in the season, what is Carson Wentz? Who is Carson Wentz? Because the Rams passed up on him to take Jared Goff, number one. Now, Jared Goff was a disaster last year, but they had no help for that kid. Sean McVay comes in. I expect Goff to be better this year. I'm not saying I think he's going to go out and be an MVP-type player in the next couple seasons, but I think you're going to see a jump. Do you see a jump from Carson Wentz? Because if you don't, the Eagles aren't going anywhere fast, and those fans in Philadelphia not exactly known as the most patient bunch on the face of the earth. It'll get ugly. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Stack in the Box. Really appreciate it. Uh, can't tell you how much it means to me. If this is the first time you're listening or if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Please rate it. Give it five stars if you believe it deserves it. If you don't believe that I deserve a five-star rating and you want to comment negatively, please don't. Um, God knows I've seen worse things said about me, but, you know, why see another one? So, in any event, now the football season is back. It's time to get excited. But remember what we said at the top of the show. Don't get on the hype train that's going too fast. It'll eventually go off the rails. I'm Matt Verderam. This has been Stack in the Box. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.